You're listening to the SHL CHRO Chat Podcast, where our Chief Human Resources Officer, Carrie Ellison, leads conversations with other HR experts who are driving innovation through wise talent decisions. Hi, I'm Terry Ellison, the CHRO from SHL. And today I have on our talent talks, um, a guest a guest that I'm really excited about um, talking to, and it's a lady called Erin Krask. Erin Krask is part of SHL also. Um, and it follows on a bit of our psychological contract from the last two po- podcasts. And today we're gonna sort of just have a little bit of a discussion about culture um, and how that is at the moment in our environment, where we are in the future, what that actually means for us in a business today, what that means for employees. Um, I'm very excited to have Erin, and so I'm going to let Erin just introduce herself a second and give a little bit of background. Thanks so much, Terry. This is Erin here. Um, I am a solutions architect at SHL, which means that I have the privilege of working with our customers to figure out exactly what business challenges they have and how we can build solutions that really help them achieve the change they want to see in their various human resource processes. And I have such a passion around culture. I'm so excited to be having this conversation and um, actually have a background in industrial and organizational psychology and have spent much of my career to this point focused on both as an external consultant and working for an enterprise organization thinking about culture and leadership and how do we grow businesses and scale culture how do you take culture through generation change how do you take culture through crisis and and thinking about the role of culture as it relates to strategy so these are some of the things i'm most passionate about Um, it's all about people it's all about making work meaningful and great and so i'm so excited for our conversation thank you erin and i'm very excited so erin and myself um met each other only a couple of weeks back really when um, Erin joining the organization had had a few conversations with people and said I'm really interested in the culture piece you know what it what are you doing in HR and and me and Erin started talking um, and it was exciting to have the enthusiasm from Erin to also think about SHL's culture how that culture is and it, I think you just made a really interesting point Erin which is around the strategy so just talk to me a moment about how important is it to have culture and the strategy aligned? Yes, this is one of those most critical pieces that so many organizations um, operate in silos. So you think about your business strategy, what are we trying to do in your culture, how we treat our people. Um, but truly, there, there's a phrase that goes, culture eats strategy for breakfast and or, or lunch or dip, you know, pick your favorite meal there. And um, and, the, and that is the truth of it, because culture defines the way people act around each other and, and culture defines uh, whether or not people will come together and whether they'll be vulnerable and say, I need help getting this project done or we need to work together. Are we going to have collective success or do I need to claw my way to show that my work is valuable? So it's how people get work done. And if we have business goals in place, we have to achieve work in a certain way or we're not going to get there. We have to be able to work together. And if we don't have organization, if we don't have a culture rooted in trust and collaboration and knowing that if I put in the work, I'm truly going to be able to meet these business goals, we're not going to succeed. And so the culture is how people get work done. And one of the things I think that stands out about culture is that culture is the thing that's going to happen to you whether or not 
you craft it. And so an organization will always have business goals and a culture will always arise. And that culture is going to either be a positive supportive psychological culture or it's going to be a culture that lacks trust and collaboration and there's an us versus them mentality. And from a business perspective, it truly is going to be much easier to get things done in the collaborative, safe, group-oriented kind of culture. And so when we think about the role of culture and how it relates to strategy, if culture is going to happen to you, we're much better off intentionally crafting that and helping guide people um, into that trust-based environment. And so that's why it's so important to align these two things together and really make sure that we've got a, um, really make sure we've got symmetry between the two. And it's really interesting, the the piece you talk about, I I find quite fascinating because there was a Harvard Business Review document that was called What Really Works? And that's not new. And it is something that was sent out quite a few years back. But yet it talks about the crucial part of having the strategy, the culture, the systems and processes, and the whole piece connected together. And yet we still in organizations struggle to do it. And when I think about my experience over the last few years, I've seen exactly what you talk about. I've seen the organizations that have not led the culture in line with their strategy to know the future and what actually happens is you get these small pockets of cultures happening in an organization and it takes the business in a different direction sometimes and actually slows an organization down and and almost prevents them from moving forward if it isn't done in a positive way Um, so I think another question for me would be we, we hear a lot at the moment in the market about the term purpose and organizations that have a purpose. H- how do you think that culture piece connects to that sort of term? Yes, I think purpose is a twofold term. And the first component of that is organizational purpose. And what we're finding, especially in the current market right now, uh, there's this term called the great resignation where we're seeing millions of people resign from their jobs. And there are many complicated reasons for that thinking through the pandemic, economic circumstances, health realities. But one of those reasons has to do with purpose. And people are taking this moment in time to reflect on what matters most to them in life because it's been a scary time for all of humanity and saying, what do I want to do with my life? What what is most important to me? And part of that is aligning themselves with an organization that they can feel proud about. And it doesn't mean that every organization has to have a... Um, a not-for-profit focus or some sort of um, mission that is striving to better all of humanity. The mission doesn't have to be um, so huge. It just has to be clear and it just has to be something that people can align themselves with. Um, It can be we are seeking to improve the health of our state. It can be we are seeking to make sure that businesses can run as efficiently as possible. It can be that we are seeking to make sure that human resources processes flow smoothly and help get the right people into the right job. Whatever it is, it just needs to be clear. It needs to be something that we can anchor in, um, a a true north, if you will, um, for people to anchor in. So that purpose People are hungry for that at work because then they can also take that and align that to their individual purpose. So people are also looking more in life to say, 
I, as a human, have a purpose in this world. And that's a complicated, multifaceted piece of it. Uh, People look to anchor their purpose and passions outside of work with their families, with people they care for, and also in their work. So people say, my purpose, part of my purpose here um, in this life is to contribute meaningfully to our society. And I do that with this, you know, and in this moment, I'm doing that with this job that I have at this company and their purpose is this. So purpose is about aligning and and giving direction. And I think that's an important component of it too, that both individual and organizational purpose, people are looking to align those things and they're looking to use that to give themselves direction. And when we can move people all in the same direction together, again, that's when we start to achieve bigger and, and better results. And Terry, something you said, a moment ago um, reminded me of a story too. When you're talking about silos and and trust breaking down and processes slowing down, it reminds me of um, an organization I worked for earlier in my career where there was um, really efficient processes between some departments. So we had, for example, between operations and our technical departments, really high levels of symmetry, um, tons of transparency between those two groups, and they would get together and they would do demos and demonstrations of the various different things they were working on and incorporate each other's input. And we were able to achieve really incredible customer results because those two organizations were um, totally in sync. But there was a disconnect then between um, a technology and a sales group, and it caused a lack of trust. It caused a lack of trust for sales to say, I'm not going to bring in my technical partners because I don't trust that they're going to help me close this deal. They're going to make things more difficult. And then the technical partners would say, I'm never brought in. I'm being handed closed business that I can't deliver on. And, And that breakdown in trust led to um, customer issues, that led to culture issues, that led the work to come to a halt and and not the best deal to be sold in some cases. And so um, the culture and mutual purpose help either align or break down that ability to get work done. It's the speed of trust, as Stephen Covey would say. Those are um, the factors that will either lead you to achieve business results more quickly or more slowly. It is, and it's... The, the world around us is picking up pace, right? The, the whole market is picking up pace. Most work is picking up pace. I don't think I ever hear anybody talking about the, the world around us is slowing down. All we hear about is it's getting faster, our roles are getting faster, change is getting faster. Um, Technology is doing that to us as, as a good example. And I think if we don't think about culture being aligned to those paces, it does exactly what you talk about. The boat in the water goes slower. Mm. It, it can it knows where it might be going but it just can't seem to be going it in a straight line and it becomes efficient and, and not performing and and it's fascinating for me that leaders don't tend to naturally think about this piece being an element that they should work on in line with a strategy they will naturally head down the route of let's go for a strategy let's go for the transactional operational pieces that go through it and they'll forget the leadership behavior pieces that that are true and the change management pieces that are true from it and I think about some of the organizations that I've worked in like you just described I think the the place that I my best culture organization that I worked in and where it felt like everybody was aligned was exactly that it felt we were all running at the same place it felt like we were all running to the same beat and as a result of that you teamed better you connected better you didn't have those silos you didn't have those 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 breakdowns so it's 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 
it's interesting to hear your experiences of other companies and 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 I guess my experience of other companies. I'm interested because you mentioned the purpose piece and the purpose piece you mentioned in two ways. One was about you yes. uh, or as, an, as an employee and the other one was about purpose within a company. And I hope I'm not going to go too personal for you, but I'm actually interested. Do you think your purpose of what you require from an organization has changed pre-COVID to now? Yes, I think I think for most people that's true. And it is definitely true of me when I think about what I, for me what became very clear during the pandemic was how to align my time how to get very streamlined with the things i focused on and there's a book i read called essentialism a few years back and it's about um shedding away the noise and sig- focusing on what is called the highest point of contribution and it's figuring out where you can add most value and something that became really clear to me and focusing solely on that place where you can add the most value and something that became really clear to me um, during the pandemic and I really was looking for uh, in in a workplace was a place that was going to allow me to zone in on a highest point of contribution and shed the noise and focus on the signal and what I mean by that is often in organizations and this had been true of me in other parts of my career, we we find ourselves tasked with many projects. It's, you know, here are the three goals I'm holding you accountable to this quarter, half year, year for your performance review, but I also need you to accomplish these 10 other projects and sit on these five committees. I need you to attend these 10 meetings every <laughs> week. And, and our schedules and our lives become busy and it becomes hard to focus on that that signal of like here's what I'm really here to accomplish. Uh, I I believe that being involved at work in, in different kinds of projects is really important. For example, I sit on SHL's culture committee, and that is not something that shows up in my performance reviews. That's something I choose to do because I'm so passionate and excited about this work. Um, but something I was really looking for in a workplace was that ability to say, I want an organization that helps me focus on um, the highest point of contribution and will allow me to innovate and get creative and do different things within that swim lane and dabble out a little bit, but not require me to swim in every lane um, and then still hold me accountable to the same kind of innovation and performance outcomes in that one lane. Does that does that make sense? It does, absolutely. And I, th- I think referring to our culture project and giving you the opportunity, I, I find it as a CHRO absolutely an opportunity to be in an organization that does and sells and provides a fantastic customer opportunity and also in a space that I that I live and breathe which is HR so it's it's great to be able to have all of those experiences that I would struggle to get hold of if I was just in a HR role in another type of industry um, right at the foot the door and be able to work with you all on how the culture should work within um, SHL. And I totally agree with you. For, for me, the, the same thing for purpose. My purpose before I think I came to pre, pre-COVID was always about wanting to be able to offer value to an organization and have an organization be comfortable to give me the space to be able to offer value. Yes. That moved very much actually over COVID, which was, I want that, but I also want that with the flexibility that I now have um, today. And when we're talking about culture, I think today, a lot of 
a lot of what COVID has given us, and I think we've talked about this in a couple of the other podcasts, is about the opportunity for every person to ask almost what they would like from a company. And no longer is it hierarchical down from, from a company to say, from the top to the bottom, this is how we're going to run. But employees start to say, this is what we want. And those organizations that will embrace that and drive that will very much be the people that start to lead in their industries and lead in, lead in their performance. So I think we've done a summary a little bit around, um, let's just say culture is not just about leadership. And I know there are some really big documents and some really good books that says it starts at the top, it's about the leadership. I think it is more than that, it's everything for me, which is from the way the walls are painted to how your chairs are, to how you behave, to how your reward and recognition schemes and your goals and KPIs follow through, um, through that culture and, and it's embedded almost as a DNA. And then starting that DNA is very, very hard. It's not an easy thing. And I know that some of our customers do work with us on on how we do that. So as as a consultant that helps me out and I was a CHRO, what, what would you say my first step should be to just start thinking about getting on that journey? Yes. So when I think about the culture journey uh, and when I've talked to leadership teams about how they do this, I always anchor them in, in a couple of things as, as the first step. And one is the balance between top down, bottom up. And so when I say that, I mean, your executive leadership team has to be all in and every question that they have to ask and every angle that they look at the business needs to say, how is this work getting done? Not from a micromanagement, what tasks are you doing perspective, but are we accomplishing work in a way that's consistent with the culture to achieve our goals? And they have to mean it. And uh, so that's piece one. And then piece two is that bottom up approach. How do you take the collective voice Terry, just like you were mentioning, people demanding and asking things from their workplaces. How do you how do you collect all that information and so authentically go about saying we genuinely care and this business needs to run and accomplish these goals and how we do it needs to be a collective effort. That defining of that culture needs to come from this voice. And so um, being able to gather that information and execute flawlessly and continuously from a change management perspective, um, bringing along your people with you, um, helping them gain that awareness of how we're going together, why that they should want to come on this journey with you, how you're, crea- how you're crafting that workplace um, that will embrace the things they're looking for, how we all do it together. What are the things that we're going to do from a performance management standpoint, from um, the way we hold our meetings, from the kinds of behaviors that are and aren't acceptable, from what what, we're, what our expectations are, how do we do it, and then how do we reinforce that over time? I would say those are the key pieces that I would start with. And then of course, how do we measure that? And that's a huge question all in, in and of itself, but those are the places that I would start with the leadership team and gauge their readiness for culture change and culture shift. You, you just said something there that made me actually smile because it made me twitch from a previous company I used to work in actually, which is that two-way flow. Right? It's crucial that you are listening to people on the ground. It's crucial the exec team are being heard about where they think the direction the strategy is going. But that's the hardest thing because a lot of exec teams in the way that a lot of leaderships have grown up and built up and driven organizations very hierarchically driven feel that they should own it, feel that they should write it and feel that they should give it to a company. And and and, and I, the, the piece I'm thinking about very much from a historical point of view was 
we did have that one organization and we actually had a sentence written on a wall and I don't think anybody ever ever looked at that wall again mm. after it was rolled out and I think the thing about that two-way piece is if you don't start from there it means that it will never get embedded it will never become part of your DNA it will always just be a the worst type of HR for me, which is a HR program. And in 18 months, it finishes, it lands, it gets put in a drawer and something else gets started. So I think it's an interesting point that you make around that that two-way piece. And I think for me, as a HR person, that voice from the ground is just as important as the um, voice from above. And then it's how do you actually gel the two together to get the direction going and then um, embrace everybody to, to get behind it. So the hardest Absolutely. thing is those listening, you know, those leaders listening to those enablers and those blockers, because it's going to be uncomfortable. So, you know, I, I'd imagine that in your experience of dealing with some of the customers, it's got to be uncomfortable for a bunch of leaders to hear about. Yes, I think it it is. It's a humbling experience. And one of the things that any leader needs to be prepared for is that is to get vulnerable and is to have the conversation about where do we stand today? Where are we falling down? And uh, and take that approach of non-judgment. So it's something that's so critical when we think about leaders approaching culture work, something that's so critical when we think about how we actually change culture is this sense of one, humility, and two, removing or separating people from problems. So you as the leader are not at fault, you're part of the larger system that has institutional challenges. And to be able to step back and say, I'm seeing these institutional challenges and I see that we're all a part of them. Let's name the challenge and align as people to work together in a different direction culturally. That is where you start to get traction. There's so much ego and self-protection that comes into this work feeling this need to say, well, you know, the company might have problems, but I'm a good leader or, you know, I care about my people and, and most leaders do care about their people. It's it's about how do you change the system so that leaders can operate within it in this authentic way. And that takes a lot of vulnerability, which I think is a fantastic segue into a conversation about the role of psychological safety yes. and the sense of vulnerability and the ability to ask a question or say, I need some information or help me or I can't do this and and not have that fear of a negative consequence, not have a fear that somebody's going to be like, how do you not know that? How are you even in this job? Creating an environment where there is that sense of really strong trust. And, and Terry, I would love to hear your thoughts on safety and how and how we're doing that, how you build that. It's it's a it's one of the biggest challenges I think in all organisations and especially at a senior leadership perspective because the minute you are authentic um, and are honest and open and transparent, what that does is create that vulnerability that you just talked about. And because you then have that vulnerability, it does expose you to everybody's opinions and views, therefore, about you as a leader. Um, and the only way you can do it is help leaders feel resilient that it's okay and that it's part of a journey and that there's key interventions as part of the change that will enable people to come on the journey with you and that their minds will shift and grow and move with you as an organization it for me it's the same psychological change process that you have to be humble about so we do change we do change in processes but people's minds 
the psychological contract they're doing with you, the culture that you're trying to build, the strategy direction you're going to go to, doesn't happen overnight. It can be 12, 18 months out before people even believe or trust the culture you're starting to say you're building. Um, and if you haven't been transparent about it, you, you, you even more lose that psychological contract with it. So for me, it's the transparency about where you're going. It's the transparency about the journey you want to get on. Very much the transparency about the steps you have to get there. And then that psychological contract comes with it because people trust and they believe the words that are coming out of the leaders and the authenticness from those leaders. But without that, it's really, really hard. And then people, when the trust breaks down um, from that, that process through the leadership, that's when the cultures tend to start to fall apart again. Um, and it becomes a very hard place to repair from. A couple of the customers I've spoken to actually very interestingly have said that, that when they've started doing this from a HR perspective, their leaders aren't bought into this. Their leaders aren't bought into, you know, thinking about culture and spending money on putting that process in place. But once they've done the journey and they've seen the journey, they would absolutely say next time around that it would be the thing that they put in place at the same time as their strategy. So it's quite a fascinating thing because it hurts to go through it. It hurts as an employee, it hurts as a leader to go through it. But the learning and the enablement and the performance of the company is just so greater at the end of it. And when you're there, you just sit there and go, that was so worth it. So, so to answer your question, the psychological contract is really hard, really, really hard as a leader at the top to think about how do you continually engage that group. Absolutely. There are two things that really stand out to me from what you say. We've said about psychological safety and one is a sense of repetition. And this is something that I've definitely seen as an external consultant working on culture uh, journeys with clients. And this is the idea that you're going to sit as an executive team or a leadership team in a room and you're going to talk about culture. And by the time that the frontline employees of your organization are just starting to digest what that means, you're going to feel like you've been talking about culture till you're blue in the face. And this sense of continuous repetition and reinforcement, and it has to be in multiple modes, multiple formats, over time, woven into everything, that's only when you start to reach the folks at the ends of the organization. It takes a long time for that, yeah. for the signal to travel all the way throughout the organization and start to resonate. And that reinforces this idea that culture isn't a project. It's a continuous journey for people as new leaders enter the organization and need to get on board, as people start to realize how important it is and get on board, and for the organization as organizations change. Think about the role of culture pre-COVID, the role of culture post-COVID, the role of culture 10 years from now, that culture is a journey and we have to be willing to let or to, to take it with us and grow it and change it over time. What's right today might not be right tomorrow. Absolutely. And the th term that comes to mind when you talk like that is culture for me needs to be thought of like an ambition in the same way as a strategy is not overnight. And it could be five years out, it could be seven years out, it could be three years out, however, however you build that. People don't think about culture as, as an ambition. It's very much the same thing. It has to be an ambition of what you want to gain and be working towards. Um, and then you, the change management, you cannot underestimate change through processes, systems, tools, and then also within culture, you have to think about it as a change management exercise. I think we sort of looped back to where you almost started, which was that change piece at the beginning is almost crucial. And if it's not thought through at the same time, it drops 
um, and, and the organisation loses it. So I'm conscious we're running out a little bit of time and we're coming to the end um, just slightly. So if there was one thing, one takeaway that you would like to leave our listeners with, what do you think it would be? I think that that takeaway is that strategy and culture are one and they continuously evolve together. I totally agree. And I think for for me, it would be um, on top of that, the culture is not just about a behavior. It's about everything that drives an organization forward from a people engagement perspective um, all the way through as well. So I've had a really fantastic time chatting to you, um, Erin. I'm hoping that um, I get chance to, as a result of COVID, lift and fly over to the US and actually meet you face to face because we haven't actually seen each other face to face at all. So I'm looking forward to being able to do that once we um, get past the flights um, and be able to travel a little bit. So I'm looking forward to that. And I know that you also have a, um, a podcast. What's your podcast called? Yes, I have a podcast called Trendline that I host with a colleague of mine, Lance Andrews, also another SHL person. And I'm uh, very excited if you're interested in learning more about Trendlines or if you're interested in learning more about our culture conversations uh, on Trendlines. We talk about trending topics in human resources and industrial and organizational psychology. And in just a few weeks from now, we'll be releasing a fantastic conversation about re-entry into work and the realities of labor markets and, and what that looks like coming up. So thank you for asking. That's okay. And I and I, I am part of dealing with what labor markets look like at the moment. And that, as you mentioned earlier, there is a tsunami happening um, with roles um, and what's happening within some of the markets. So it'll be really interesting to see how that plays out. And so I'll look forward to listening to it. So thank you so much for your time, Erin, and um, I look forward to talking to you again soon. Thank you, Jerry. Thanks for listening to SHL's CHRO Chat Podcast. To learn more about how SHL helps companies leverage their greatest asset, their people, please visit shl.com.